the first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there, and the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fantasy Football Addicts Podcast. My name is Mung. Hey everybody, it's Los. We are entering, can you believe it, season four? Can you believe we've been we've been plugging away at this for this long, Mung? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that our uh, listeners haven't gotten sick of us. I'm surprised we're still on the air, but you know what? No, I'm not, because we're good, we're golden, we win leagues, and we get you to win yours. It doesn't really matter, because I'm just grateful that football is almost back. That's right, it's a fun time of year. Uh, week three of the preseason is done or <clears throat> heading into being done. Um, might be done by the time the podcast's up, to be honest. We'll see. Um, and uh, one week out of the start, I'm ready. Yeah, this is the the most wonderful time of the year. I had a draft last night. I've got another draft uh, with you, actually, on Friday, and then another one next week. So I'm, I'm so excited. May the best man win. Yeah, I think uh, our draft on Friday will be interesting because uh, tonight, or I guess tomorrow when you guys are all listening, we are giving away all of our overvalued and undervalued players in this year's draft. Let's see who uh, remains uninjured heading into week four. Yeah, I, I think you and I are going to snipe each other quite a bit on Friday night. Yeah, that's that's typically the case. I hate it, but, you know, I love it too. And who knows, I might just be misdirecting you in all of this. Yeah, a little, a little trickster there. Mm-hmm. Los like or Loski? Loski, uh, that's right. That's the Loski. Right. Yep, yep, yep. At FFA underscore Loski. Don't get, don't confuse him, Mung, all right, please? <laughs> well, all right. Um, so as we mentioned tonight, we'll talk about a few overvalued and undervalued players at each position, get you uh, going for those of you who are still drafting. And then we will uh, get right into it. So for the purposes of our discussion tonight, we'll be referring to all the ADP information um, and rankings for a 12-team PPR format. Uh, And then the ADP data is going to be from my fantasy league or MFL.com starting in August 1st. So some of this information might be a little bit old given some of the injuries that have occurred, but most of the ADPs should be pretty on par with where they are still going today. We are going to start with the quarterback position, and uh, I'll kick it off here. Uh, My undervalued guy that I'm going to talk about is going to be Blake Bortles. He is being drafted right now as the QB 23, um, late in the 14th round. Look, uh, is is Blake Bortles going to be an elite quarterback, whether it's on the NFL field or in fantasy? No, but to be fair, he was the QB 13 in fantasy last season. Bortles has a solid offensive line. He's got a good running game with Leonard Fournette there, uh, so he doesn't have to throw a ton. And then he's got good surrounding talent, even with Marquise Lee's ACL injury out for the season. He's still got Keelan Cole. Um, We'll see what Dante Moncrief has left in the tank. And then he's got a couple younger guys there who might develop with Shark and Dede Westbrook. So at his current ADP, I think Bortles is going to be a pretty decent high-end QB2 target if you're going to wait on quarterback in your draft. 
It's almost like they knew what was going to happen going into this offseason, going ahead and drafting DJ Shark, going ahead and signing Dante Moncrief with Marquise Lee uh, being out for the season. Um, I, I don't necessarily think Dante Moncrief is a step down from Marquise Lee, honestly. Uh, I'm still a Moncrief believer. He's young. He's very uh, talented. He just needs a, a chance to showcase that talent. So this may be it. Um, that said, if he doesn't pan out, D.D. Westbrook did look really nice uh, last year. And Keelan Cole is a guy I think we'll probably be hitting on uh, later on the program, possibly, maybe, maybe not, spoiler alert. Uh, but but he can uh, he can keep that pass game um, plowing ahead. Austin Safarian Jenkins also in that pass receiving core, the tight end there who last year finished very poorly at tight end. But if you were watching any of the uh, games he was playing, he – he kept getting screwed over in one way or another in terms of scoring touchdowns on a week-to-week basis, either having plays called back or having catches called no catches. Just just pure dumb luck for Austin Safarian Jenkins. Yeah, I was really, you know, we won't talk about Keelan Cole right now too much, but I was really shying away from him earlier in the preseason. But now that Lee is out, I think that wide receiver picture gets a little bit clearer in Jacksonville. Yep. Uh, my quarterback pick for undervalue this this season is actually a, it's a bit of a cop out pick. Uh, I can't agree more on Blake Bortles, but but there's actually so many late quarterback options. Uh, I, I can't really say they're necessarily undervalued in a uh, one quarterback per se, but keep an eye on them for streaming weeks. If you just bail on quarterback altogether in your draft, Matt Ryan right now is going as the quarterback 14, not even starting in a. Uh, quarterback in a 12 team league and and nowhere near being rostered in a 10 quarterback league two years ago he had an mvp caliber season he's entering a second year in the sarkeesian offense uh so we may see a pretty good step forward from him um especially with julio jones scoring minimal touchdowns last year i I think there's nowhere to go but up for matt ryan marcus mariota is the quarterback 17 off the board in a new offense this year um, who prior to last year was just awesome in red zone efficiency numbers. He has a new offensive coordinator in Matt LaFleur, who was Jared Goff's offensive coordinator last year in L.A., and we saw the jump that uh, that Jared Goff made. Now he's overrated, in my opinion, but that's uh, another debate. Mariota surrounded by very good talent in Delaney Walker, former top wide receiver pick Corey Davis, and a new pass-catching weapon in Deion Lewis, as well as... Uh, uh, Taewon Taylor, who may take another step forward. Richard Matthews, who will be back a little bit later in the season. And Mariota still has his rushing ability. Um, I can't necessarily say he'll be a quarterback one, but he will be better than quarterback 17 and a guy definitely to keep your mind on if you're streaming quarterbacks week to week. Yeah, as you mentioned, there's lots of late-round quarterbacks that you can wait on, um, specifically with Ryan that you mentioned. Uh, The Falcons' offense was actually very efficient last year. They just kind of stalled in the red zone. So hopefully in year two, um, as long as they kind of get a little bit more used to that system, get a little bit more chemistry going, uh, I agree that Ryan could certainly finish as a low-end QB1. Um, And then, like you said for Mariota, that rushing ability always gives him a high upside every week. So moving on here, um, one overvalued guy that I want to hit on is, surprisingly enough, Deshaun Watson. Um, He's being drafted as the QB2 right now, right behind Aaron Rodgers. Uh, His average draft position is early in the fourth round. And I'm a big fan of Watson's, and the upside certainly is understandable there, uh, picking him in the top few quarterbacks. But, you know, as the second quarterback going off boards here in the early fourth round is quite honestly a little bit insane we've seen Watson play for not even half a season last year 
Um, the rate at which he was scoring touchdowns is definitely unsustainable, and we just don't know how mobile he's going to be, even if, if the reports are positive right now about his rehab from that torn ACL. Uh, the value is just simply not there in the fourth. I'd, I'd much rather have guys like Brandon Cooks and Alex Collins, Demarius Thomas, uh, even Russell Wilson. They're all going you know, a few spots behind Watson right now in the fourth round. That's just way too early. That drop-off in uh, in uh, running back talent just is nowhere near worth the chance of going after Deshaun Watson in the fourth round. Sure, he there, the argument out there is he could win you your league. Sure, he could he could win your your league with forty point weeks every week. Of course, he could also lose you your league by not taking a, an actual scarce position player like a running back or or a top end wide receiver and going in on a quarterback who's going to finish mid pack in in a on a position where you there's 15 to 17 guys who you could start on a week-to-week basis and be just as happy with their production. Yeah, I mean, really, the, the point differential is just not there between that elite tier of quarterback and guys you can get like Bortles and Matt Ryan, you know, 10 rounds later. In the same vein, uh, very similarly, I've, uh, it's obvious to our listeners the way we lean. My overrated quarterback is the evil Aaron Rodgers going at the end of the second round right now in 12-team leagues. Um, if you think I didn't like a quarterback in the fourth, then I, I'm sure you can guess how much I like a quarterback in the second. Do not overpay for a quarterback, especially this year. There's over 14 to 15 quarterbacks worth owning and starting, and missing out on more secure running backs will end your season for you. I'd consider Rodgers in the late third, I do think he is the clear number one quarterback this year. Don't let, uh, let don't let me uh, mislead you there, but but I'd still probably just rather wait and be fine with heck grabbing a quarterback in the eleventh and twelfth if you're really that scared about not being secure at quarterback. Yeah, and I'm glad you clarified that because by no means are we saying that Rodgers and Watson aren't you know top five fantasy quarterbacks. It's just they're going too early in drafts. That that's the argument we're making here. Um, but let's move on to the running back position. And uh, my guy is actually uh, kind of uh, contradictory to what I just said because clearly I'm hating a little bit on Deshaun Watson, but I, I do love Lamar Miller quite a bit. Um, I think he's undervalued right now. He's currently going off boards as the running back 21 uh, early in the fifth round and you know honestly I I think Dante Foreman has a lot of talent uh, maybe even the most pure talent out of that whole Houston backfield but Lamar Miller's still you know pretty good he's an all-around back and with Foreman you know on pup to start the season with that Achilles injury we've seen Miller dominating first team snaps in the preseason uh, you know, as, so far, it looks like the Texans are going to use Miller kind of like a workhorse back. He cut weight in the offseason. Um, and honestly, purely from usage, uh, he should have an RB2 floor. And, you know, like I said, I just said how Watson is due for regression in the store in, excuse me, in scoring rate. But really, Watson's return bodes well for the offense in general. And, if Watson can do even 80% of what he did last year, then Miller is in for a potentially, you know, RB1 finish this season. Yeah, the big soundbite from, I think it was just this past week, is Bill O'Brien saying that Lamar Miller is a three-down running back um, for the NFL. That's always high praise from a coach. That's always very, very important, especially now that we see so many teams with a split backfield with three guys in the backfield. Um, in Philadelphia for your Super Bowl winner, the we, champion, we saw a four horse, uh, four four headed horseman, or whatever you want to call it, in the backfield. Um, Lamar Miller 
it's ugly. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to feel good. Drafting him is going to feel a lot like drafting Alex Collins or something like that. But but it's probably the right guy to draft, especially in the fifth round. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been taking him even earlier in some drafts. Yeah, I, I don't love it. Uh, what I do love is Jordan Howard, and he's not horribly undervalued, but running back 14 is a little low for me. I'd like to see him a little more firmly in the second round. Right now he's going earlier in the third. Jordan Howard made the best of a horrible situation in Chicago with John Fox in town, a stagnant, slow, sluggish offense, and he was rewarded with a running back 10 season his first year uh, in 15 games and a running back 14 season last year. Of course, we, we know the downturns of the Chicago Bears offense last year, low scoring, stagnant. Now, he is the workhorse in what should be a new and improved offense. There may be struggles at at first in the season, but sit tight. Yes, he only had 23 receptions last year, but that was actually 12% of Trubisky's completions. I know that's not impressive, but Trubisky was not throwing the ball a ton. You can believe the Cohen hype, Tariq Cohen, if you want, but all 5'6 and 160 pounds of him is not going to force Jordan Howard off the field. Now, this is definitely going out on a limb, but I don't think new coach Matt Nagy is going to telegraph his entire offense by pulling Howard off the field and putting Cohen on for every passing play. So I think that just gives Howard even more chances to catch more balls. He's not a pass-catching back, but put me down for 30 catches, 30 receptions, and 280-plus carries, and I like Howard firmly in the second round this year. Yeah, it's funny because his ADP is um, running back 14, and I actually have him uh, ranked as my running back 13. So he's not horribly uh, undervalued in my eyes, but I think he's certainly worth picking in the second or third round, right right where you're saying he's going. Um, as you mentioned, Tariq Cohen is obviously the more dynamic, explosive back. He's the better pass catcher, but... Uh, as you mentioned, Howard's going to stay on for third downs at least for a few series a game. Um, Cohen's going to get his you know share of targets and carries probably, but I, I think Nagy's going to have plenty of plays where there's going to be both on the field, and, and also I, I think Cohen is more so going to spell Howard for a, a series or two a game, but I do think that Howard is going to be as close to a workhorse as you can get without you know going into the elite tier like Gurley or David Johnson. Um, but his, you know, lack of pass catching ability is being held against him almost a little bit too much. Uh, as you mentioned, he's had strong finishes in PPR leagues in the last couple of years. And, you know, I don't expect him to, you know, do worse than right about RB2, uh, you know, that mid-level RB2 where he's going. Yeah, call me crazy, but... Heck, Tariq Cohen might even find more of his value, more of his usage in this offense, and more of a gimmicky Tyreek Hill sort of uh, sort of way. I think that comparison's been made a little bit too much this offseason. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, that's that's enough on Howard. We both like him, and it's not just because we're Chicago fans. Uh, I think right. he's definitely worth that pick. Um, one guy, though, that I probably won't be owning in any redraft leagues this year is going to be LaShawn McCoy. I think he's quite overvalued, even at running back 16, um, in, you know, late in the third round. It's just it really comes down to two things. The Buffalo offense has question marks pretty much everywhere, uh, but more, most importantly, uh, at quarterback and at offensive line, which is really going to impact McCoy's stats. Uh, the usage might be there for him, but I just think you know they're really going to stack that box, and I don't know how well uh, whoever the quarterback is going to be is going to you know help him out, uh, whether it's Josh Allen or one of the veterans. But 
you know, add in the suspension risk from that alleged involvement in his ex-girlfriend's break-in, and McCoy is just a huge avoid for me in the third round, maybe even in the fourth. There's just way too many you know, red flags and, and risk involved there in, in terms of how many games he'll play and then even then how efficient he's going to be. Yeah, add to that Josh Allen's uh, concussion right now and Nathan Peterman being the turnover machine that he is. If, if we were playing in reverse dynasty, reverse fantasy leagues, Nate Peterman's a first-round first, first round All-American right there. Um, that does not lead to much time uh, for LaShawn McCoy to get much carries, grinding the clock out, running the ball, or anything like that. Um, another running back that I think is a little overvalued right now is Derrick Henry of the uh, Tennessee Titans, right now going as running back 20. And more more importantly, two rounds ahead of Deion Lewis in uh, in round four, whereas Lewis is going late in round six right now. Um, Tennessee has a lot of kinks to work out on offense. I know I said Mariota has a lot of upside, but that upside doesn't necessarily lie in Derrick Henry carrying the football for them. Um, this defense is not the best. Tennessee will have to score. They will have to try and put points on the board. And Deion Lewis is just a more dynamic running back right now. Derrick Henry, if they do get ahead, will will churn the uh will churn the yards for them um will be able to run the football but tennessee's got to be in a position to get him into the game to get the football like that uh they didn't bring Deion lewis for in onto the team for with running back one type money to sit him and have him be a clear number two yeah i i do prefer henry over lewis but definitely not in the fourth round going two rounds ahead of him um, my entire argument has been Deion Lewis has never played a full season in his life until until last year, and I don't I don't think he's going to this year. Um, so I do think that Henry is going to be a good value at some point, uh, but you know, going like you said, going in the fourth round that's just too rich for me as well. Great point on Lewis and his injury history. A lot of people forget that after one season, but all it takes is one season to not be injury prone anymore. Yeah, I mean that that's, you know, really uh, it's short memories, right? Uh what, what, yep. whatever you want to call it, recency bias. Um but yeah, remember that Deion Lewis has hurt so many random things. He's like a Danny Amendola of running backs almost. Modern medicine and a plant-based diet. <laughs> yeah. Um you know who's an Iron Man though and an opposite of Deion Lewis is Mr. Marshawn Lynch. Oh yeah. Uh, he's crazy undervalued right now in my opinion at running back 26 um in drafts uh, early in the sixth round right around where Deion lewis is going but i would actually t- consider him in the late fourth where derrick henry's going because uh, believe it or not lynch was the rb 24 last year in ppr despite everybody writing him off um and you would think you know being drafted as the running back 26 right now might seem fair in the grand scheme but Lynch finished as the running back 24 despite Carr playing terribly from his back injury. Uh, And Lynch had that point total while playing in essentially 14 games. If you recall, um, he was ejected early on in week seven for touching a referee. And he served that one game suspension the week after in week eight. So, uh, you know, he was a a low end RB2 in PPR despite missing two games. He looks as good as ever in the preseason, still running strong and elusive, and I'm not worried about Doug Martin stealing touches from him unless Lynch gets hurt. Uh, This offense in general should be better this year, and Lynch is going to be not their workhorse necessarily, but I think he's going to get all the important looks uh, near the goal line especially. Yeah, looking at where he's going, uh, I think he has some of that risk baked in with being in this 
call it a new John Gruden offense, even though John Gruden hasn't been in the league in a decade. Um, and Marshawn's age to boot, uh, I, I, you know, it, it's hard to envision a high ceiling for Marshawn Lynch, but I think he has a higher floor than we're giving him for, giving him credit for. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think he's got a high ceiling as well. I mean, think about how often Oakland scored last year, or I guess not very often, but I think that scoring rate's going to go up, and he's going to score more touchdowns as well. We can hope so. It's a lot of lot more fun to see the uh, the Oakland the Oakland Raiders uh, winning football games. Um, on the flip side of the running back situation, Kenyon Drake is looking a tad overvalued to me at running back 17 going early in the fourth round right now. Uh, also, all signs are pointing to the Miami backfield being a committee between Kenyon Drake, Frank Gore, um, maybe some Kalen Balazs. Yet fantasy owners seem to refuse to believe it. Uh, Drake is an explosive back, but the workload just won't be there unless Gore gets hurt, and Gore hasn't missed a game in seven years. Uh, there's upside, but there are plenty of other running backs and wide receivers I'd rather take in the fourth than Drake. That Miami offense is, you know, is not great, does not put up a lot of points, and Drake is going to suffer for it. Yeah, I do think Miami is going to be more efficient on offense with Ryan Tannehill back. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, they're relying on Devontae Parker taking a step forward. They lost Jarvis Landry. Uh, they, they're trying to fill that hole with Danny Amendola and Albert Wilson. But I just don't know that this offense is going to be all that much better. Um, and honestly, I, I think Kenyon Drake and Marshawn Lynch's ADP should be flipped. I, I'd much rather take Marshawn in the mid-fourth where Drake is going and Drake uh, where Marshawn's going in, in the mid-sixth. I think that would be a, a more to my liking. Sure, that seems closer. Um, but one guy uh, that I, I want to talk about moving on to wide receiver here, um, very undervalued, uh, actually currently not even being drafted in most leagues, uh, is Mike Wallace. He's kind of an afterthought here, uh, you know, signing with Philadelphia in the offseason. Uh, but let's not forget that Alshon Jeffrey had rotator cuff surgery late February. Um, Adam Schefter actually just reported today that Jeffrey's expected to miss at least the first two games, maybe more. Um, Mike Wallace is going to be the clear starter here, opposite Nelson Aguilar to start the season. Um, Wallace has been doing well in camp, and you might only get a few weeks out of him depending on when Jeffrey returns, but there's really no risk in taking him in the last round of your draft given that upside. And if Wallace sucks week one or week two early, then just drop him for a hot waiver wire ad, but he could turn into a wide receiver two, wide receiver three for as long as Jeffrey's out. We've seen it before. Very fast, uh, very disruptive, but, you know, when you're playing for a Super Bowl contender, you could put up a lot of damage in fantasy leagues. Yeah, and we'll we'll see if Wallace still has that speed, but he's, he's a deep threat as well. He's always been very good down the field. Yep. Uh, for me, I like Sammy Watkins quite a bit. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say he's undervalued, but I love his current value at wide receiver 28, end of the sixth round, the exact kind of guy that I'd love to take a gamble on in the sixth round because I, I like his ceiling and I like his floor. Um, he, he does have a very unsure situation around him. He hasn't been amazing in the preseason, but if Mahomes can get his act together, I, I think you, you, sh you need to watch out here. Watkins has the speed to get downfield for Mahomes, um, who can cannon it to him. Um, and he's also a legitimate red zone threat. Uh, the fact is Tyreek Hill does not score in the red zone. Uh, we see gadget plays to Travis Kelsey on the uh, on the underneath and, and screens for scores, and there, there's a reason for that. Uh, look for the gunslinger Mahomes to go after Watkins early and often in the red zone. 
Um, he has high-end wide receiver two upside for me and, and very solid flex floor, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I like Watkins a lot. Um, I don't have him that much higher uh, than his current ADP, as you said, but I do have him as my wide receiver 24, so a few spots ahead of where he's going. Um, and, and as you said, uh, you know, it's really about Patrick Mahomes here. He's got a cannon for an arm, as we saw in that one preseason game where he just bombed it to Tyreek Hill. Um, but let's not forget that Sammy Watkins is always is also a good deep threat, and Travis Kelsey can stretch the seam. So really, Kansas City is going to be a dangerous offense to deal with um, because where are you going to put your safeties? Who are you going to double cover when you know all three of their top receivers can kind of burn you? And honestly, their secondary and their defense is pretty weak overall. They haven't done anything in the offseason to help, you know, help out Eric Berry. Um, and we have yet to see how effective he's going to be. Uh, honestly, this is the perfect storm. And I've said it all offseason. You can look through all my tweets and my articles. But Kansas City is the perfect storm with a lethal, you know, down the field offense and a weak defense where they're going to be, you know, playing in pass heavy game scripts. This is one of my most looked forward to offenses to watch this NFL season, bar none. Yeah, I, I'm honestly, I'm really excited for, um, you know, Kansas City, San Francisco, and the Rams. Those are the three that I, I'm, I think I'm most excited to see develop. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of potential for growth. Um, you know, we just talked about Mike Wallace being undervalued, and I feel like it's only fitting or expected then that we hit on Alshon Jeffrey, who I think is overvalued at wide receiver 23 right now in the early fifth round. Uh, look, the talent's always been there. Uh, you know, we saw him firsthand in Chicago. And, but the question is, when is Jeffrey actually going to be back? And when he is, is it going to take him a few weeks for him to get on the same page with Wentz or Foles or whoever's throwing the ball at that point when he really hasn't practiced much with either all offseason? And also, let's not forget that last year was also the first time that Jeffrey played a full season because prior to that, he was constantly missing time due to those soft tissue injuries, uh, you know, constantly questionable. You never knew what you were going to get out of him week to week. And of course, we might look back and see that Jeffrey was a fine pick at this current ADP and, you know, he might finish as a fantasy wide receiver too, but there's a, enough risk here where I'm not going to be taking him in the early fifth round. So I'm, I'm, early fifth round of drafts, so I'm probably not going to own him very much this year. Oh, as a Bears fan, we know all too well how valuable Alshon Jeffrey is sitting on the bench or uh, hopping around the field with a, with a hamstring that doesn't work. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad. The potential is always there, but, you know, is he going to be able to stay healthy? I hope so. Boy, I hope so. He's not getting off to a good start, though. Um, here's a, a big shocker for overvalue wide receiver. Um, your new Cleveland Browns stud Jarvis Landry currently being drafted as wide receiver 14 late in the third round. If you believe in Josh Gordon playing 16 games this year, you should not draft Jarvis Landry. Over the last five years in Pitt, Pittsburgh, Antonio Brown has led in targets in Todd Haley's offense. The second most targeted player has averaged just 14% of the total targets. Over Landry's first four years in Miami, he's averaged 25.5% of the total targets. Unless you think Landry will be the team's wide receiver one over a, over a healthy Josh Gordon, then his current ADP in the late third is absolutely insane. Even if you give him a generous 20% target share using his career averages and catch rate, scoring rate, 
and yards per reception rate would give him about 80 yards or 80 catches, 800 yards, and four touchdowns, which would be the uh, 23rd overall wide receiver in PPR last year. I wouldn't touch Landry until round five, six, maybe later, and I won't be owning him anywhere this year with his third round ADP. This offense isn't going anywhere that fast, and Hugh Jackson will not be throwing the ball as much as as you'd like to see for a quarterback, especially if you're trying to roster uh, Jarvis Landry and Josh Gordon. I mean, I, I think they will throw it a, a fair amount because I, Todd Haley will probably run that offense. I think Hugh Jackson knows that he's on the way out, as, as most people do at this point. But, uh, you know, the point is that Jarvis Landry is no longer the wide receiver one for his team. Um, as he was in Miami, he doesn't have Ryan Tannehill, who's going to check it down to him four times a game. Uh, and, you know, he was a PPR stud, but to do that, you need the target share, which he's not going to get in Cleveland. Um, and to add to what you said, you know, one, obviously, as long as Josh Gordon's healthy, he's the clear wide receiver one for that team. But two, also, you have to remember that, you know, both Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield are very mobile quarterbacks. They're not going to need to check it down quite as much. They're going to run for those short gains, um, or they're going to be willing to take a shot downfield as they're scrambling. So I just don't see the targets there, and I completely agree that I'm not touching him anywhere in the third or even the fourth round. Um, no, sir. But one guy I like a lot uh, that we haven't touched on yet is Emmanuel Sanders. I actually just took him last night in his draft. Uh, he's crazy undervalued uh, at wide receiver 33 late in the seventh round. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say here. Uh, just three statistics for you. You can connect the dots however you want here. Uh, number one per Evan Silva on Twitter, Adam Thielen was targeted on 25% of his slot routes last year, uh, the highest rate in the league. Thielen had 142 targets, which was... Uh, you know, the most on Minnesota and the second most targeted Vikings player was Stefan Diggs with just 95, almost 50 fewer targets here. Um, number two, Adam Thielen finished last year with 91 catches for 1,276 yards and four touchdowns, good enough to finish as the wide receiver eight in PPR. And number three, Case Keenum, who was on uh, the Vikings is now in the Broncos, and Emmanuel Sanders has played more than 50% of his snaps this preseason from the slot. So connect those dots however you want, um, but I'm pretty sure however you want to do that math, uh, wide receiver 33 is, is pretty far below both his floor and his ceiling for Sanders here. Yeah, sounds like uh, sounds like it spells uh, something good for Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, I mean, Demarius Thomas as well, but uh, Sanders is going way later. Either way, they should both have much better seasons than they did last year with, uh, gosh, what? I've written them out of my mind. Paxton Lynch, but the guy, Trevor Simeon. Good God. <laughs> Simeon. Oh, man. Yeah. Hey, still better than Brock Osweiler, right? Definitely better than uh, Brock Osweiler. Don't sleep on this uh, Chad Kelly kid, though. He's, he's not looked horrible. Yeah, I think Keenan's, Keenum's going to do an adequate enough job that Kelly's not going to need to start this year. But certainly, you know, if anything, if Keenan does do well, then uh, maybe they have something in terms of trade bait for a really quarterback needy team then. Always good to look toward the future. And then you can get real excited since he's working in practices with Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, 
just exciting stuff in Denver, right? Yeah, those guys are definitely names worth monitoring in Dynasty, but I, I don't think they're going to do a whole lot this year uh, in, for no, redraft no. purposes unless one of those, uh, either Thomas or Sanders, gets hurt. No. Um, all right, let's move on to the tight end position then here. Um, I don't know if, if any of our listeners are going to remember, but I think it was two years ago in the preseason, uh, I was talking about Benjamin Watson like crazy. Um, I don't remember what exactly I I said, but I remember ranting about him, raving about him. Uh, and I'm going to do that again this year because he's crazy undervalued. Uh, much like Mike Wallace, uh, he's currently going undrafted in most leagues. Um, apparently people hate the former Baltimore Ravens, even though they did pretty well last year. Um, and the fact that he's going undrafted kind of boggles my mind because uh, he actually finished as the tight end 11 in PPR last year. Um, and then the last time he played with Drew Brees in 2015, he finished the season with 74 catches, 825 yards, and six touchdowns, and was the tight end 7 in PPR. Uh, I, I get he's crazy old, but he's still on the field, and he looks jacked right now. Um, if he's fully recovered from that Achilles injury, uh, you know, Mike Michael Thomas is going to lead the Saints in targets, but... Let's look at their other receivers here. Ted Ginn is mostly a deep threat. Cameron Meredith is coming back from that ACL injury. And Traquan Smith is explosive, but he's still just a rookie, uh, you know, playing not that many first-team snaps this preseason. And all reports out of training camp have been that Watson has great chemistry with Breeze, especially in the red zone. I have him ranked as my tight end 10, and you can get him for absolutely nothing. Yeah, I think you could do a lot worse than Benjamin Watson this year as your uh, as your tight end. Um, as a matter of fact, tight end's a bit of a mess uh, across the board, really, um, which leads to my my undervalued tight end pick, which is don't don't kill me, don't call uh, you know don't call the mob and get your pitchforks and torches ready. But Jared Cook is my undervalued tight end. Now I'm not saying to go out and draft him, um, even even though he could finish tight end 10, 9, 8, or higher. That that really says a lot more about the state of the tight end situation this year than anything else. Um, if you're going to draft a tight end, draft one, you know, early with Gronk, Kelsey, or Ertz if you really like to construct your team that way. But if not, I would I would sit this one out and just wait and, and try and stream best I can. And Jared Cook, right now tight end 22 off the board, can put up some really solid weeks. People forget because it's so ugly because he does have those big drops that he was a tight end. He was a tight end one last year. He was tight end number 12. He finished five points back from the tight end nine. So that puts him firmly as a tight end one uh, last year. Um, again, tight end is ugly. You pick guys up and stream them on good weeks. I'm sure you remember last year I told you to start Austin Saperian Jenkins a number of weeks. I'll be doing the same thing this year. This year I'll be doing the same thing with Cameron Brait if he can fend O.J. Howard off for, uh, for the rest of the season. We'll be doing the same thing with Vance McDonald. But don't overpay for guys like Jack Doyle, like Evan Ingram, like Delaney Walker, like Jimmy Graham is, is my point. Keep your eyes open for great matchups for, for Jared Cook, for, for Tyler Croft. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> you mentioned uh, Jared Cook to me before we started recording tonight, and uh, I'm going to repeat for the listeners what I told you earlier, <laughs> and <laughs> that's that I would compare Jared Cook to, you know, like an eight-day-old burrito from Taco Bell that's kind of been left on the sidewalk, and, you know, if you're, like, starving, maybe you'd consider 
taking a bite, but uh, no, thank you. I'm going to disagree with you hard on this one. I think there are plenty of you know other options that have just as much upside who are not going to have those terrible games for you where he's targeted four times and has one catch for like six yards. Um, I'm sure there will be some weeks where I will stream Jared Cook, but I, I think he's best left on the waiver wire for those desperation weeks when you know your tight end one is on bye or something like that. You know the best thing about a Taco Bell five-layer burrito? You can pick it up off that ground, scrape it off the cement, eat that bean paste that doesn't age, and still get four catches for 50 yards and nine PPR points. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what's making me more nauseous right now, the thought of that old burrito or the thought of Jared Cook on my roster. <laughs> you can drop him right after the game's over. Oh, you don't man. even have to wait for waivers. Just just drop him right after the game's over. You won't have to look at him again. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, let's move on here. Um, one, one tight end that I think is overvalued, actually, is um, you, you mentioned Delaney Walker, which I actually disagree with. I think his ADP is right. Um, because he is the, the number one target uh, on Tennessee, but uh, we don't need to get into that too much right now. Uh, the My guy is going to be Evan Ingram here. Uh, he's being drafted as the tight end six right now, early in the sixth round. Uh, I much prefer you know Delaney Walker, who we just mentioned. Um, he's going a little bit later, uh, and honestly, I, I would take a lot of tight ends over at Evan Ingram right now because... Last year, he led the Giants in targets with 115 targets. Uh, that's a crazy high 19% target share. And this was largely due to both Sterling Shepard and Odell Beckham getting hurt. Shepard only played in 11 games last year and Beckham just four. Uh, both of those guys are healthy now, and the team signed Cody Latimer in the offseason. He might not have done much in his career, but he is a big red zone threat. Um, and then, of course, they drafted Saquon Barkley, and Barkley's going to get plenty of targets out of the backfield. No one's arguing uh, that Evan Ingram isn't talented here, but the opportunity level simply isn't going to be the same this year unless the Giants are incredibly unlucky a second year with injuries. Uh, I'd much rather get Delaney Walker around later or guys like Jack Doyle or George Kittle five or six rounds later. They have just as much upside, and... I think they're going to get a similar number of targets from their respective quarterbacks this year. Can't disagree with most of that analysis. Um, new look offense, obviously. Anytime you put Saquon Barkley on the field, uh, one of the the most highly touted running backs since what Adrian Peterson, Ladainian Tomlinson. I don't know what you want to call him, but but he should be phenomenal. Um, all reports are are of course amazing for him. Um, for that reason, though. It, Evan Ingram's targets will go down, but I wouldn't be shocked if we saw eight-plus touchdowns out of Evan Ingram. Um, man, I, I would I would take the under on that. Yeah, ju- I I just I just envision this this red zone you know box stacked. Evan Ingram slips behind in the slot as a tight end, which is you know in vogue now in the NFL. He's he's a big body. He's very good. He's a converted wide receiver. Um. He's just got the tail to make it happen. I, I actually worry a lot more for Sterling Shepard on this offense. Um, I think that, you know, the secondary focuses on Odell Beckham. They try and do everything that they can against Saquon Barkley. Um, Sterling Shepard becomes the odd man out with Eli Manning hitting Evan Ingram from the slot and other type, uh, other short type routes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with Shepard. Um, you know, he's being drafted late right now as the wide receiver 44 in the 10th round, but 
Uh, yeah. I'm still not touching him there. I definitely agree, but I just think the sixth is way too early for Ingram. Um, even if he yeah. is, I, I think he'll be the number two or number three target with Barkley uh, behind Beckham. But I don't. I just don't think there's enough there for him to justify that kind of ADP right now. Yeah, I I I, I see your point there. He's he's definitely part of that crapshoot bottom bottom tight end one type you know tier right there. Um, I do have to take issue with you uh, hating on my boy Corey Davis, though, as as a staunch Corey Davis supporter. He will have the most receptions, most targets by far in Tennessee this year. You're saying more than Delaney Walker. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think he, he's going to take a step forward for sure, but I think Mariota is, you know, the, Grandpa Delaney is, is always there for him, and he's going to look to him early and often. Uh you know, Davis might end up with more targets, but at their respective ADPs, I think Walker is a better value. All right. Um, that takes me to my overvalued tight end, Jimmy Graham, as the tight end number four this season. Are, are we are we really seeing this correctly? Is this serious? He's, I mean, he's no spring chicken either. He's on a Packers offense, which every year Aaron Rodgers gets a new tight end. And we say, oh, he's on He's on the Packers offense. This is going to be amazing. And then what do they do? I think the best tight end finish was that one year that, um, oh, my gosh, what's his name? Jermichael Finley finished as, like, the tight end 10. Artelis Bennett never blew up. Jared Cook never blew up. Uh, Jimmy Graham is not going to blow up. Will he be a tight end one? Probably just because of touchdown upside. Will it be the tight end four? No. Give me Greg Olson. Give me Evan Ingram. Give me Delaney Walker. Give me a, a plenty of guys ahead of Jimmy Graham. Yeah, I have um, I have Graham in my rankings as let's see here the tight end six. So I don't have him too far behind. Um, I've got Gronk, Kelsey, Ertz, Walker, and Olson ahead of him. I think my bigger issue isn't the fact that he's being drafted as the fourth tight end. It's that it's that's going uh, in what is his ADP here? Um, the late fifth round. Mm-hmm. I, I have more issue with that than the fact that he's the fourth tight end just because, as you mentioned, the hype is always with Aaron Rodgers' new tight end. But as you also mentioned, um, you know, he's got Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb, so it's not really a sure thing. The upside's there, um, but there is enough risk where that's too early for me as well. I, I think I'd be comfortable with taking him maybe even just a round later because I'm looking at the sixth round right now and you can get guys like um, Marshawn Lynch, who I mentioned. Uh, you've got guys like Deion Lewis and Sammy Watkins and Michael Crabtree and Rex Burkhead. And I would probably take all those guys over Graham at this point, but um, I think he's overvalued by just about a round. Exactly. Uh, go, go grab Kyle Rudolph in the eight, in the eighth or ninth round and enjoy having a real wide receiver on your team. Yeah, I don't see a huge difference between Graham and guys like, um, you know, like you said, Ingram and Rudolph and all the back end, or excuse me, tight end ones. Um, all right, so just a quick, uh, quick update on a few late, late round guys. Um, we'll go through a couple at each position here. Um, I'll take quarterback. Uh, my guy's gonna be Andy Dalton. Uh, as much as we like oh. to. As much as we like to ridicule the Red Rifle here, uh, Dalton was the fantasy quarterback 12 in 2016 when he had a good offensive line. And Cincinnati's made some moves this offseason to fix that terrible line from last year um, with Green and Mixon there. And then 
we've got a healthy Eifert for right now, at least, knock on wood, to start the season. Uh, Dalton's got that QB1 potential, but he's being drafted as the quarterback 27 right now in round 16. Um, much like Bortles, who I mentioned way early in the show, you know he's probably not going to ever be that elite guy, but he could be a huge value based on where he's going right now. A couple running backs here. Uh, Jonathan Williams with Mark Ingram suspended four games. Williams has a chance to be a productive running back, too, for the first quarter of the season. If he plays well enough, it's possible he could even keep the job. Um, similarly, Alfred Morris has experience playing in uh, Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco, and depending on how long it takes McKinnon and Matt Breida to recover from their respective injuries, Morris could be a running back two or maybe even a lower-end running back one if either of those guys misses time. Both Williams and Morris are going undrafted in most leagues. Yeah, and to your point, uh, you know, a lot of people say NFL not for long, and, uh, you know, if yeah. you miss time in the league, uh, look at uh, Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick, or, um, you know, even, you know, with Williams and Ingram here, uh, the Saints, Sean Payton doesn't care about you. Look at Willie Sneed uh, last year getting suspended. People were still drafting him, and Payton saw in the first few games that, hey, we don't really need Sneed, and that Adrian could easily Peterson. happen to Ingram. Yeah, Peterson as well. Yeah, good point. Yep. Um, all right, uh, a couple wide receivers here. Uh, we mentioned Keelan Cole earlier when we talked about Bortles, but with Marquise Lee out for the season, Cole's got that chance to become the wide receiver one in Jacksonville. Uh, he played very well to end the season last year. Uh, he's got that chemistry with Bortles, and he has wide receiver two potential, uh, but being currently drafted as a wide receiver 68 in round 16, while I expect that ADP to go up as drafts kind of adjust for Lee's injury since it was so recent. Uh, I still think Cole's going to be a steal anywhere in round 11 or later. And then another guy here, uh, John Brown, while his teammate Michael Crabtree is being drafted as the wide receiver 29 in the sixth round, uh, John Brown's available coming off boards as the wide receiver 69 in round 17. He could easily be the more productive Baltimore wide receiver for fantasy, uh, and he's 10, 11 rounds cheaper than Crabtree. I like them both. I uh, agree with you on both there. Um, if Keelan Cole, j just monitor that entire Jacksonville uh, situation. Keelan Cole, Dede Westbrook, Dante Moncrief. That said, we saw last year it was a bit of a roulette game, uh, a bit of a dice toss with any of, with, with those guys. You know, they just tend to have big weeks and then parlay it into somebody else having a big week the next week, right? Yeah, and like I said, um, up until this past weekend, I was really avoiding all the Jacksonville wide receivers because all of them had potential, uh, but you n just never know you know, who's going to be starting any given week, who's going to get the most targets. But I do think now that with Lee out, Cole should be at the top of that pecking order. Yep. As far as deep, deep tight ends go, uh, Zach Ertz is the clear tight end one in Philadelphia, but with Alshon Jeffrey not ready to begin the season and Ertz having missed some time with various injuries over the last three years, Dallas Goddard is a physical specimen who could step right in just like Trey Burton did last year uh, with significant value. He's just a name for deep, deep leagues or to put on your watch list, but he definitely has top five fantasy tight end potential if, God forbid, anything were to happen to Zach Ertz this season. Yeah, and we've seen Ertz dinged up with various little soft tissue injuries, you know, over the last few years. Absolutely. Uh, Trey Burton just parlayed it into a nice little contract for himself uh, with Chicago, which hopefully, hopefully for us, hopefully for everybody, he can uh, turn into the next top five uh, tight end. Yeah, we'll see about that. 
Um, I think that's all we had for our overvalued and undervalued list. But real quick, I just wanted to talk. Uh, Los, uh, you actually remind me of this topic when you texted me about our league together uh, that's drafting on Friday. Um, you asked me about draft position preference. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a top pick in your redraft league, um, I think generally speaking, most drafts, it's going to be the four running backs. Uh, I've seen Antonio Brown here and there, um, but generally it's going to be one of either Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, or David Johnson, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that there. And I have, um, depending on your league setting, if it's a PPR, I have Antonio Brown at the five right there. Yeah, I agree with uh, Brown at five. Um, But just curious, of those four elite running backs, how would you prefer them in the top four there? Sure. I still like Le'Veon Bell as as the number one. I know Gurley uh, took the spot from him last year, but Bell is just the sort of pass-catching talent that you just do not see often. Um, And uh, L.A. really caught everybody by surprise last year. I don't see that happening two years in a row. I I don't think Jared Goff is this elite talent. And a lot of these scampers, a lot of these runs, a lot of these long scores Todd Gurley had um, with these long screens, that's what really helped propel his numbers. Um, I, I just foresee teams defending that a little bit better the second time around. Oh, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with the scoring rate regression. Uh, I don't think he's going to, you know, score almost 20 combined touchdowns again. But um, I do have Gurley number one just because, in my mind, he's the safest of those four with the same upside. Uh, You know, he's going to be the focal point of that offense, and I do think Sean McVay is smart enough to make adjustments even if defensive coordinators have caught on a little bit to what they were doing last year. Um, Sure. So Gurley's my number one, and the only reason I don't have Bell there, uh, he's my number two. Uh, as you mentioned, he's just such a talented guy, and the, uh, you know there were reports today that he's going to report to the team on Monday, so there's no danger of him holding out into the regular season. Um, but the only thing is, you know, there are two minor issues. Uh, really, with these top four, you're kind of nitpicking here. Um, but one is that holdout from the team drills and practice. Uh, you know, going to affect his health or his efficiency at all. You know, it, it's little things like the chemistry and, you know, even if he's been working out really well on his own, there's always something to be said about working out with the team, with the team trainers, all that. Um, and then, too, just with Todd Haley being gone, you know, how is that offense going to change, if at all? Uh, they're still probably going to run a lot of the same concepts, but it's just a little bit of, a, of an extra, uh, you know, factor to consider there with a new offensive coordinator in town. Sure. If there's any, the, the only, uh, I, I like Bell more because if there's anything that was to change in Pittsburgh, I think it might actually knock Antonio Brown down a little more. There's, there's a few different things that can happen. If something happens to Ben Roethlisberger, who does that hurt more, the running back or the wide receiver? To me, it's clearly um, the wide receiver, and that, that would feed into Bell getting more work there. Um, if something were to happen with the rice wide receivers with James Washington emerging more, Juju Smith emerging more, um, and Ben Roethlisberger doing well, that's going to protect Le'Veon Bell be- and detract from Antonio Brown because Le- Le'Veon Bell will have more chances with more um, – <clears throat> Uh, assuming that the offense is, you know, scoring more points, that'll give more time and games for Le'Veon Bell to be catching short passes or running the ball more to protect his own value and protect his own touches. Um, if those similar things were to happen in uh, <clears throat> in 
L.A. with the Rams, I could see that detracting from Todd Gurley a bit. And also, we don't necessarily know what's going to go on with Aaron Donald. So that that defense might not be the same staunch defense that keeps that uh, that keeps that running back value up very high for L.A. Oh, see, I'm not worried about that at all because one, I think Donald's gonna. You know, I don't think he's gonna hold out into the regular season. And two, even if he did, uh, you know, that's just gonna lead to more passing. And Gurley's still very involved in the passing game, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, but then, so I think Gurley and Bell is my one and two, and then I have Ezekiel Absolutely. Elliott as yeah. my three. One and one A. Um, and David Johnson is my four. Would you agree with that, or do you have those guys flipped? Yeah, I, I that is sort of a day-to-day sort of question and situation. If Sam Bradford can stay healthy, then I like David Johnson more than Ezekiel Elliott this year. I don't want to see Josh Rosen if. start. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't want to see Josh Rosen uh, suiting up at, at starting quarterback just this season. Um, Dallas has seen some bad days. Uh, they've lost a good portion of their offense but they're going to have to establish a passing game if they're going to want to keep their offense on the field. Um, it could be trouble for Zeke, but I don't see him finishing outside of wide, of running back five. They're, they're both really good choices. I just like David Johnson's upside. I feel like it's a little bit safer than Elliott's this year, but, but I, I love them both. Yeah, and again, it's all nitpicking, but I do have Elliott above Johnson. You know, My oh, rationale okay. is that while <laughs> – what's that? I just laughed because, oh. you know, we've got the... Yeah, I mean, we can't agree all the time, right? Um, yep. Well, you know, it's it's splitting hairs. Right, but, uh, I mean, my rationale here with uh, Elliot is that the offensive line injuries are a bit worrisome, but at the same time, you know, they've come out and said that Elliot should be more involved in the passing game this season, so I think that's going to offset that. Um, especially sure. in PPR leagues, because Elliot is such a good receiver that it was kind of weird that they didn't use him more as a pass catcher before. Um, and then, as you mentioned with David Johnson, that offense in general is a question mark, especially if Bradford gets hurt, uh, because they really don't have anyone established behind Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, and But, you know, Johnson has looked so good in the preseason, it's hard to knock him too much for, you know, his surrounding talent. So, um so you have it, let me get this right, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, and, and if a, a stiff breeze pushes me in one way, then I might just click uh, Todd Gurley instead of Le'Veon Bell. But I, but I do have uh, Zeke after, after Johnson, just because Dallas's offense is so que- has so many questions right now. What does the defense do other than put nine guys on Ezekiel Elliott? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's true. Um Oh, and then uh, real quick, too, uh, before I forget, uh, I, I did have a friend ask me a question earlier about a keeper, uh, and, and I want, I'm curious to see if you would agree with me here. Um, sure. He's keeping Travis Kelsey in the fourth round in a two-keeper league, um, and then his other options, or his two best options behind that is Alex Collins or Dion Lewis, both in the 10th round. Uh, I told him I would go with Alex Collins. Would you agree with that? I actually had this exact, very, very similar question um, regarding Alex Collins and Deion Lewis in the 14th round, and I, I came to the conclusion that it was Alex Collins, and, and the person that I uh, had told this to told me, yeah, he feels like it's the right play, but getting excited about uh, keeping Alex Collins is like going to the supermarket and getting excited that you found a loaf of bread. 
Oh, I disagree. I like Collins quite a bit this year. I actually have him right behind Jordan Howard and Joe Mixon. He's my running back 15. Wow. Okay. I'm pretty Gee, high in somebody Collins. Likes, somebody likes Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> well, all right, Let's let we won't get too far well, into this are, hole right now. Paraman, uh, you are a Paraman believer, right? No, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> but um, uh, conversely, I am a Joe Flacco believer. Um, I, I do think that in Superflex two quarterback leagues, he's going to be a big value. Uh, maybe, you know, you probably don't want to rely on him in one quarterback leagues, but I think he did okay considering how terrible his surrounding cast was last year. And I think with a healthy Alex Collins, hopefully a healthy Michael Crabtree and John Brown, that you know, Flacco could finish as a high-end quarterback, too, in fantasy this year. And he even has a reason to try and play football this year with Lamar Jackson uh, behind him on the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, we saw what that kind of push did for Alex Smith. Uh, maybe yep. elite Joe Flacco will do the same. There we go. All right, well, that is going to do it for our show today. Uh, the next show will be after the Week 1 games. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, as usual, we will be recapping Week 1. Uh, we'll get you all the hot waiver wire ads, uh, and we'll be previewing Week 2. So watch out for that episode coming out uh, very soon. But in the meantime, if you do have any questions for us, whether it's about keepers, whether it's about redraft adp whatever you want even dynasty questions throw them out there you can find us on twitter at ffa underscore mung that's m-e-n-g and i'm at ffa underscore los los you can reach and thank our awesome producer dan the man at ffa underscore d-a-n dan um, for taking my voice and making it listenable and you can also follow us uh, of course subscribe to the podcast in the itunes store you can find us on soundcloud and in your google store and on Stitcher as well now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Nice. Yeah, so whatever your preferred listening platform is, uh, you can find us on all of them. And as always, it's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts. <laughs>